Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. It's really good to see everybody. I mean, not that I know half the people here. The church is growing, I see. That's good. But for those of you who I do know, it's really good to see you. And it's, it's an honor for me to be here. Thank you, Lloyd, for allowing me to do this. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Rich Matthews. I'm the pastor of Grace RVA in Richmond, Virginia. And I used to work here as the associate pastor, and it was a good time. Um, before I get started, I just kind of want to throw some stuff out there because I don't see you very often. So I might rabbit trail a bit because I got a lot on my mind and my heart. So bear with me, okay? How many of you guys enjoyed worship this morning? When we get to interact with the presence of God like that, I don't think there's anything better. But I was thinking as we were worshiping, because honestly the words that were coming out from, from Mike and from Dan, they were really profound, they were really powerful. And I was sitting there in worship and I felt like, how many of you guys know how to drive a standard car? Stick shift. Better than most. Thank you. What's the difference between a stick shift and an automatic? It's quite a bit. Yeah, you, you got to know how to work a clutch, right? The, in an automatic, you just step on the gas and it just goes and it shifts gears for you. You really don't have to think about anything. But a standard, as soon as you start getting about three, 4,000 RPM, you got to engage the clutch, drop it in the next gear and go to the next place. Isn't our life in God like that? Because guess what? Christianity is not automatic. The love of God emanates from Him. You don't do anything to earn it. So don't think about engaging the clutch as some sort of earning thing. But in our life in Christ, we actually do engage that clutch and shift into another gear because we all have minds, we all have volition, we all have will, and therefore we all make decisions. And so when we're in this place of worship, we actually have an opportunity that the Lord says, hey, how about you engage that clutch and drop it into the next gear and see where I'm going to take you? Because we can't just step on. Have you ever been in first gear and gotten on the highway? You spend a lot of gas going nowhere. And then you throw a rod and you've got to fix your car. I know that for a fact. So this morning, and there's a, this, and I promise this all comes together. Let's make a decision to engage our clutch this morning. I'm not used to having a cord, by the way. This will be fun. Let's engage the clutch this morning and say yes to Jesus, and let's drop it all the way into fifth and see where we go. Amen? How many of you guys are familiar with Psalm 27? Most of you should be. There's this awesome verse right at the end of the chapter, and David writes, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? I propose to you as we go into the word today that there are two ways to look at that scripture. And they're both valid, but I want to emphasize the second one. One, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a statement of faith, isn't it? It's almost to say, I see no goodness right now, but gosh darn it, I will. And we hold on for dear life. How many of you guys are familiar with that? I don't see goodness. Oh, but I will. And I'm speaking in faith. Hallelujah. But then there's another way to look at it. 
where David declares, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, where he's declaring that he's choosing to see something. And that's where I want to go this morning, because we're, we're living in a world, and you could argue it's better than it's ever been, and you could argue it's, it's worse than it's ever been. Maybe it's just we have a 24-hour news cycle, I don't know. But we live in a world that is giving us an opportunity to choose what we're going to see, Amen. If we choose to see darkness, we will see darkness everywhere we look. It's very easy to see it. But if we choose to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, guess what we're going to see? We're going to see the goodness of God. That's where the engaging of the clutch comes in. Because you can choose not to see the goodness of the Lord. And you can live a life that is unfulfilled. And you can live a life that is less than simply because we're not choosing to see what's there. There's this great story in the Old Testament where Elisha is holed up in the walls of a city and the Assyrians are attacking them. And one of the servants of the king comes and says, Elisha, I don't know, what do we do? And Elisha doesn't even, he doesn't even skip a beat. He's like, don't worry about it, bro. There's so many more of us. And he's looking around like, God, there's like six guys. There's thousands of them. He's like, God, just open his eyes. And the, the difference maker was open eyes, right? That, that this, the servant's eyes were open to see what was already there. The hand of the Lord that was already moving on their behalf. I would propose to you today that as we look at the world that we're in, and we look at what our responsibility is in that world, let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to see his goodness at work so that we can participate in that. Amen? Okay, let's get started. Yeah, that wasn't even a sermon, guys. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You are good. Your love and your mercy endure forever. You are the Holy One. You are worthy. And we are just so desperately in love with you. I pray you would speak to us in your word this morning. Amen. Text we're going to be looking at, or one of the primary texts, is James chapter 2, 8 through 13. Interesting passage of scripture, and I want to, the, the, actual, what the, the deal that James is actually dealing with in this church is there was a, a tendency for the congregation there to give preferential treatment to the rich folks that walked in and less than treatment to the poor folks. We're not going to hit the rich-poor thing because what I'm looking at is the exercise of mercy versus the exercise of judgment. And the fact that we have a choice to exercise one or the other, regardless of what divisive thing is presented to us. Rich, poor, white, black, Hispanic, anything that the world would say, hey, this divides you, you could apply this scripture and you can look at how God has determined that his people will respond to divisiveness. James chapter 2, 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law of scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. But he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act 
as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say that again together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Those are words to live by. Amen? Those are words to love by. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's mercy? Mercy and kindness are going to be used interchangeably because mercy is the application of kindness, according to the scripture, to maybe even someone who doesn't deserve that kindness, where you have no culpability, no responsibility to give it, and you give it anyway. Most of us, because we're all humans, we're all in the same boat, I don't know that anyone can actually have legitimate mercy. We can just have kindness. God can have mercy because he's the only one that can determine whether or not someone deserves it or not. Amen? Everyone deserves kindness because God has shown kindness to all men. So we're going to use kindness more often than mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Kindness triumphs over judgment. And when you look at when God assesses the situation from heaven... After the fall of man, all creation has become sinful. How do, what does he decide to show this world to redeem them and raise them up from the dead? Kindness. He shows kindness in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at his example this morning. We have a choice to be people of mercy or people of judgment when we determine how we treat our fellow man. Amen? And that's an important thing as the church, that we, we grip that reality. Are we going to be people of judgment? Or are we going to be people of mercy? Because the role of the church is becoming increasingly important when the world is trying to tell us to divide. Amen? The, the activity of the gospel is increasingly important in the earth when the world is trying to get us to split and fissure. We have to choose to be people of mercy rather than people of judgment. So let's look at God's... How did God respond? How does God show mercy? Let's look at God's heart of mercy. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11. In the same region where the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born to you. Again, The redemptive move of God in response to rebellion was mercy and kindness in the manifestation of God himself in the flesh. Does God have a heart of mercy? Look at Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 14. Now when Jesus heard this, context for this verse is John the Baptist had just been beheaded. So Jesus, who was his cousin, was upset. It said he withdrew to a quiet place, but the crowds followed him. He said, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew to a place in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But the crowds heard it, and they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. All right, so we see the father responding to the world in kindness and gives us his son. Now we see the activity of the son on the earth. In grief, responding in kindness to those who need him. Does Jesus have a heart of mercy? Yes. Yes, he does. 
John chapter 8, 1 through 11. This is a famous one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and placed her in, his, in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Where's the dude? I, I just always wondered where that dude was. It's <laughs> throwing stones, right? Now in the law of Moses, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have a charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I think he was writing comic books. That's me. He wrote down with his, wrote on, with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, as Jesus left, was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You ever wonder why Jesus... Like, I never understood this, because I like Jesus. You guys like Jesus? I feel like if Jesus was walking around Kansas City, we'd all, like, have a really good time with him. You know? feel like he's he's he loves people really well he has great ideas about how to love other people really well he has great ideas about god so what was so unbelievably egregious about this guy that after like one sermon everyone ditches him and then a few months or weeks later he's in jerusalem they're like yeah kill that dude we really don't want him around anymore how does it what is it The people of Israel didn't want mercy. They didn't want kind. Think about it. Think about the one thing that made everyone crazy upset at Jesus. Because the people of Israel were waiting for Messiah to come with a giant sword and deliver them from Rome and reestablish the kingdom of David and put them high on Zion again. And boom! We're back, baby! That's what they wanted from their Messiah. And so when the Messiah shows up, and they're like, dude, he, let's go hear Jesus because he's the Messiah. He's going to teach us how to whoop the Romans, bro. And then they go and they eat in popcorn or whatever and they're listening to the sermon. And Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said, hate your enemies. But I tell you this, I say, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Bro, this is, this is not what you, I thought, I thought we were going to roll, son. What did what what made the people so angry at Jesus? The human heart that is darkened by the kingdom of darkness has no use for mercy towards another. Of course we want it for ourselves, but we don't have it towards another. Jesus he says something different. He says kindness Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus made it clear that God desired to show kindness to all people in spite of anything, including sin. That's a hard thing for the church to remember sometimes because we like to be righteous, right? We like to be more righteous than the next guy. But Jesus, John chapter 8, says it really clearly. No matter what the potential divider is, Jesus says kindness and mercy. Because the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. 
It is when Jesus communicates value through his people to another that redemptive power is released and freedom is brought forth. Amen? God is perfect in in righteous and judgment. We know that, right? If there's anyone in the universe that can do anything crazy judgment and be totally righteous in his action, it's God. We always wonder why God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and he doesn't let us get vengeance, because none of us have the whole picture, right? Most of us have our little corner of the pie, and we make all all our decisions based on our little corner of the pie, and it's just not the whole thing. And so Jesus says, you can't execute justice without all the facts, so let me do it. And so we say, yes, God, execute judgment for me, and then he gives mercy, and you're like, whoa, what? God is perfect in judgment, and he's perfect and righteous in all of his actions, yet he chooses to extend mercy. And so it's incumbent upon us, as we look at the example of our Savior, and we have the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of us, time to hit that clutch, drop into the next gear, because God's calling us to change, amen? There's a snare in judgmentalism. So James is speaking to his church, right? He's speaking of mercy and judgment in the context of this preferential treatment. And most of you guys, how many of you guys watch the news? I'm sorry. I'm trying to stop. I'm an addict. Hi, my name is Richard Matthews, and I watch Fox. Should I sit down now? Is someone else going to go? It's not a Fox News Anonymous meeting? No? Okay, it's just church. I do. I watch news. And so I'm constantly confronted with, you know, the state of the world. Maybe it's not the state of the world. Maybe it's just the thing, the the story that's going to make the most money. I don't know. But also being a cop for five years, my buddy Earl can attest, I worked with him for five years. Yeah, things aren't all that great. We have a culture that encourages division right now. And, yeah, maybe it's a little too political. I'm really sorry, but we're going to go there. There is a huge racial divide in our country right now, and there's only one answer for it, and that's the gospel. Okay? We have to own that. We have to own that. There is a lot of money and there's a lot of power in keeping people divided and angry at each other. And, therefore, there's an agenda there. But the gospel says mercy triumphs over judgment. James Chapter 2, he's saying, hey, when you, when you have a rich guy walking, you treat him one way. You have a poor guy walking, you treat him another way. How many of you guys know prejudice is just a present reality? Everyone has it. Everyone has it. Prejudice that is acted upon neuters the gospel. And if we're serious with ourselves as a church, and we're looking at why doesn't the church have authority right now to speak into these issues, is because we've got decades of agreeing with the issues. We've got decades of agreeing with the division. And so we've, we had prejudice and we, we accepted it and we believed in it and we walked with it. And then when, here we are in 2015, we're wondering, well, why does no one listen to the gospel anymore? We neutered it with prejudice. 
prejudice that is acted upon neuters the gospel, and we all have it. If you have no prejudice, which a lot of people say, I'm not prejudiced, I guarantee you there's something. Because if you have no prejudice, your name is Jesus. Hallelujah. No prejudice is perfection. Recognize prejudice when you recognize it and you can give it to Jesus and actively, again, hit that clutch, drop that gear, do something proactive to combat it. That's maturity. Recognize prejudice is maturity. The church needs its authority back. Grace plus truth. We've got a lot of grace right now and we've got a lot of truth right now. It's doing this, isn't it? If you read any of the Christian magazines, read Christian blogs, dude, there's a huge combat between grace and truth. Jesus said, the scripture says Jesus came full of grace and truth because grace plus truth equals authority. We need our authority back as a church. We need our authority back as a body of believers. And therefore we have to find that place of grace and truth and own it in one single solitary reality in Christ. The previous verse raises the hypothetical of a rich man versus a poor man entering their fellowship. And these examples can fit a lot of scenarios. Like we said, all these dividers. Sin. Sin is a huge divider, right? We, have, we as, and I, I use we generically. I'm talking about the body of Christ collective. You guys are an exceptional bunch of people. Amen. I'm trying to get invited back. Anyway. Sin is a huge divider in the church. And we pick and choose which, sin are gonna, which sins are going to divide us. That's the thing. That's the crazy thing about the way we approach Scripture sometimes, right? We approach Scripture with a Sharpie or a, and a highlighter. Never like just the whole thing. So yeah, we allow sin to divide us. Jesus didn't let sin divide. He just spoke to it. He loved it. Not didn't love sin. He loved people through it. So, again, we, we hit on racial differences. We live in a, in, a, in a culture where these things are being magnified and magnified and magnified. And even if there isn't a problem one place, we're going to be convinced there is because there's a whole agenda attached to that. Socioeconomic differences divide us. Any potential divider, uh, James is referring to, when we choose to ignore God's command of mercy to show partiality, we condemn the church and the gospel and the message of the gospel to powerlessness and a lack of authority. Again, any time we allow, we come into agreement with the lie of the enemy, that there is a difference between us and our fellow man, and we say yes to that division, we neuter the gospel and we relegate the church to a place of powerlessness. And when the church is powerless, there's only one voice left. To, to direct culture and direct the heart of man. That's the kingdom of darkness. There is a clarion call to the church right now to reject the division, to embrace Christ and embrace our fellow man and say, we are united in Christ. No matter what, no matter what sin you have committed, you're my brother in Christ. No matter what color you are, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. There is a clarion call to the church to be to personify that reality of Jesus Christ. And without that, guys, we are lost. You know, we might not be in the worst place yet, but if we continue to allow these trends to grow, even in our churches, 
What hope is left if we will refuse to give power to the gospel in the way we live our life towards one another? There's no hope. So, good, good thing there's a Holy Spirit, right? Who's alive and well, drawing us into Christ and pushing us forward. We see this effort in our day and age as much we'd like to blame it on a demonic resistance to the gospel. Much, much of it is a matter of judgmentalism over mercy. When we look at why, 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 why has the church lost its influence? And I've done it. Wow, man. That guy's really resisting the gospel. He just cussed me out. Yeah, Satan, bro. Satan's getting at us. Could it be more nuanced than that? And if I just had a moment to hear what was behind his rejection of the gospel, maybe I would hear where he's been. Maybe he's been hurt by the church. Maybe he went into a church one day and they just refused to, they, they refused to accept him because of X, Y, and Z. And maybe if I just had been a little more patient to, to listen a little more closely, I would hear the hurt and the pain, and I could address that like Jesus would. And when we address the actual issue behind, maybe if we address the root instead of the leaves, we would actually start to see change in people's perception of Christ. There's a big difference when people hate you for doing good, which we like to believe as the church that that's always happening all the time. And then people, when people hate you for doing bad stuff. I had a funny story from Raymore. I might have told you guys some of this, but I worked a road rage incident once. Where I think you were working it. And I get called, because I was the acting sergeant on the shift, and so they call me to go down to the Sonic on 58 Highway because the reporting party had a gun pulled on him. Now it makes our ears perk up a little bit, and like, oh, Really? I'm going to go check this out. So I send Earl and Lance to go to the guy's house. We had a license plate and make sure he would see if he was there. And I went to go talk to the reporting party. I get there. This guy's shaking. Oh, I, just, I don't get it. Dude, he pulled a gun on me, bro. All right, well, tell me the whole story. Like, what happened? He's like, all right. I was driving east on 58 Highway, right? And he was in front of me. So I went to make, he went to make a left in the Sonic, but he didn't use the turn lane. Okay. And then he pulled a gun on you. No. But I sped past him and flipped him off. But I was so mad, I followed him into Sonic and I blocked him so he couldn't get out and I got out. I was like, what's up, bro? And then he pulled a gun on you. Well, Yeah. Yeah, Officer Lancor, disregard. <laughs> Thinking about arresting you, man. How could you? I didn't pull a gun. It's like, dude, you're telling me that you followed a guy into a private business, you blocked him from leaving, then you got out and walked up to his window in an aggressive manner. Yeah, dude, he, he didn't use a turn lane. <laughs> that stuff happens. Isn't You know, if I had gotten there and it's like, dude, what happened? I was, getting, I was getting shave ice at the shave ice stand, and this guy walked up to me and just pointed a gun at me and said, I should kill you right now, and left. Whoa, yeah, dude, we need to take your report. That's someone who 
was just minding his own business and he was attacked. This is a guy illustrating the point. There's a big difference between getting hated for doing good and getting hated for doing bad. Bro, you, you blocked him in and then you tried to fight him. And he just happened to have a pistol. That's why, a word of caution, guys. If you ever have road rage, they might have a pistol. Just saying. <laughs> Big difference between being hated for doing good and hated for doing bad. That guy almost went to jail, but we just didn't want to do the paperwork. So That happens, too. <laughs> Judgment triumphs over mercy. And if there's one, oh, sorry, mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. See, that was, that was the devil. Mercy triumphs over judgment, but what I want you guys to take away about mercy and kindness is mercy and kindness is proactive. Okay? If you can own that reality, if you forget everything else, oh, yeah, Rich told a story about a cop and mercy is proactive, you win. Because that's going to change the way you live your life. That's going to change the way you interact with your coworkers. That's going to change the way you interact with every single human being you come into contact with. Because when we're looking at, again, we're looking at the example of Jesus, but we're also living the life of Jesus, amen? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Therefore, the life we live is no longer ours, but Christ in us, amen? So we're living the life of Jesus in 2015, I'm living the life of Jesus in Roanoke or in Richmond, Virginia at Grace RVA. Earl's living the life of Jesus at the Raymore Police Department. Jesus is living a life in a whole bunch of different places right now. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit, how are we to act? Kindness is proactive. Jesus, just as Jesus sought man, sought man. That song we were singing, his heart is after us. The heart of God actually pursues us. It's proactive. It's got intentionality to it. Just as Jesus sought man to show kindness, so we are meant to be proactive in the distribution of the mercy of Christ. Again, regardless, completely transcendent of every potential divider. I really hate that dude. Forgive and love. Because unforgiveness is a divider, just like everything else is. He really offended me. I'm sorry, offense is a present reality. Forgive and love. You can't live your whole life in offense. It'll break you. You'll be destroyed and you'll live a fruitless life. Forgive and love. We're meant to be proactive in the distribution of the mercy of Christ. So are we looking for ways to communicate value to our neighbor? Have you ever done that? Have you ever identified that one person that just gets under your skin? And then given that to Jesus and said, God, if you could show me how to communicate value to them, would you do that? When I was 16, my, uh, my stepdad and I didn't get along really well, but I remember there was a time where the Holy Spirit challenged me with that. The Holy Spirit challenged me for one month to find something Every day that made him feel served, I made it two or three days. But that was a good two or three days. It had a transformative power. Now, I'm not saying it would have lasted forever because my actions are not incumbent upon the reactions of another. I don't do good just because good might be done to me. We do good because Christ does us and he does good. 
So do we look for ways to communicate value to our neighbor? I challenge you, do that this week. Find that one person, ask the Lord, God, teach me how to show value to them. The cool thing about the the new creation, the cool thing about the Spirit of God is it unplugs us from one power source and plugs us into another one. The kingdom of darkness operates this way. You're plugged in to the opinions of people. You're plugged in to the reactions of people. You're, You're plugged into their responses. And all of that comes together to provide fuel for your actions. And so if you have a lot of negativity in your life, and you have a lot of bad stuff going on, or there's a, people are just throwing hate your way, what's going to come through your power source? The same thing, hate, vitriol, all of it's going to fill you, and that's how you're going to respond. The Spirit of God is cool, because He unplugs us from that, plugs us into the kingdom of light, and so it doesn't really matter what we're getting from men, because all we have is this power line from God, and it only does one thing, it shows kindness and mercy. It shows kindness and mercy. It shows kindness and mercy. And oftentimes, the biggest problem we have is because we're still human and we're still alive in this world, we still have minds that there's a battle going on, we still pay attention to this. It is a struggle. There's a struggle in our mind. Why do you think we worship? Why do you think we pray? These aren't just spiritual disciplines. We need to go to the gas station every now and then. Amen? We need to turn our eyes to Jesus. When we turn our eyes to Jesus, we're reminded of that power source and we can respond by the heart of Christ and not the reactions of men. That's a bunny trail. So we're looking for ways to speak life to others. God's mercy has been made clear to the redeemed. So his kindness must be made clear to the lost through the redeemed so that his mercy can be made known. The scripture says, how will they know unless, unless the message is preached? And there's a lot more to preaching than what I'm doing right now. Because words only go so far. The world needs to know the mercy of God. And the only way the world knows the mercy of God is if it's made known by those who have seen the mercy of God. We speak the testimony of the king. And the testimony of the king is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Dude, the testimony of the king very rarely is, hey, stop doing bad stuff, bro. Stop doing bad stuff, bro. Because we stop doing bad stuff when we hear the voice of Jesus that speaks value when we don't feel value. How else do we live the redeemed life? We can't do it just by choosing to do it. We have to have that value communicated to us by the Spirit of God. And very often it comes by the Spirit that's alive in Dan Caudell or in Lloyd Rindles or my buddy Tommy here. Sometimes we are asking the Lord for, for revival. We're asking the Lord to, to show. And uh, dude, I, I love that sort of thing. I love it when the Holy Spirit shows up tangibly in a in time of worship or time of prayer or when we're at church together, it's great. I love it. But guess what? The reality and the revelation of Jesus and the reality and the revelation of the Holy Spirit to those who don't know Christ is first recognized in a God-fearing, Holy Spirit-filled human being that has an interaction with them. That's the first revelation people have of Jesus. And so it's incumbent upon us to say, Jesus... Teach me your ways that I may walk in your paths. 
I always used to apply that to different stuff. It's about showing kindness and love in a time of judgment. Everyone wants to judge right now. God's calling his church to be merciful. Amen. Can I get the worship team? Are, they, are you guys around? Okay, cool. Because honestly, that worship service was off the hook today. Amen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It is, the, it is the wisdom of God. The church is the wisdom of God. Scripture tells us the manifold wisdom of God is the church. And it's time for the church to take its rightful place. Amen? To be the arbiters of the heart of God to a fallen world. So let's stand and let's pray. Let's worship the Lord as we close out. And let's just have a heart that says yes. Let's choose to engage that clutch this morning and say, God, I'm going into high gear because I've been autopilot because I thought my transmission was automatic. I just thought that things just happened because they happen. They don't. We actually have to engage a little bit. I don't want to go down the highway at you know, 10 miles an hour with a screaming engine anymore, God. So Lord, teach us your ways that we may walk in your paths. Open up our eyes to see you in your goodness. I choose, God, to see your goodness in the land of the living. I choose, God, to reject the narrative that says everyone is there to harm each other. Hey, wait, be careful. Watch your back because everyone's out to get you. We reject that and we say, even if that's the way the world works, I will not operate that way. And I will care for, the, for my neighbor. I will show kindness to the one who has never been shown kindness. I will speak value to the one who feels no value because that is my Jesus. That is my Savior. So God, we pray for truth above all else. We pray that you would speak truth, the truth of your heart to your people. That you would make us alive to the kingdom of to the kingdom of Christ that's alive in us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would look around and not see dividers. Lord, that we wouldn't see the color of a person's skin or the size of their bank account or any other thing besides the gem that resides in them because they're a creation of Yahweh. And they're loved with an everlasting love. God, Break us. Break us of division, Lord. Unite us. Father, you said, I desire that they would be one as you and I are one. Give us that unity as we learn to love one another by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen.